Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Join Josh and Chuck, the guys who bring you stuff you should know, as they take a trip around the world to help you get smarter in a topsy-turvy economy. Check out the all-new Super Stuff Guide to the Economy from HowStuffWorks.com, available now exclusively on iTunes. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting next to me, as always, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. See ya! That was quick. No, no, that's Hungarian for hello. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying goodbye. Not yet. All right. I don't know. I'm kind of in a fog right now. All right. Well, uh, today we have uh, another one of our famous or soon to be famous listener mail roundup jamborees. Yeehaw. I think this would be number two. Yep. So let's get started, shall we? Sure. All right. So here's the first one. Okay. Hi, guys. Currently listening to your April Fool's podcast. So I'm so sorry. This is taking so long for me to get to. Great <laughs> stuff. I think my favorite podcast so far was your 2008 Christmas picks. I didn't see anything from this listener in my my uh, stocking, but okay. Thanks. 
On a more serious note, I work for a small coffee roaster in the Midwest, and I think we almost got involved in an online scam. Someone emailed a request asking if we shipped to South Korea and specified a freight company we should use for a quote. I did an internet search and found this person's name and email on a website highlighting online scams. I checked out HowStuffWorks.com. Excellent choice. And skimmed (laughs) the article on how online fraud alerts work but didn't see anything about how to report potential scam activity. I went to the IC3 website, but we didn't suffer a financial loss, so I didn't know if I should still fill out a complaint. Wow, can't talk. Do you have any suggestions? Thanks for all your awesome, informative podcasts. I've learned I'm a techie at heart. Sarah. Well, Sarah, uh, yeah, we can give you some hints and some some tips if you suspect that you've encountered an online fraud. Um... Actually, there are quite a few different opportunities you could take. It all depends on sort of the nature of what the fraud is. But uh, your first assumption to go to IC3, that's actually a pretty good one. Uh, IC3 stands for the Internet Crime Complaint Center. And it's a partnership between the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the National White Collar Crime Center. And uh, usually that's that's a pretty good source to go to if you need to uh, to report an online scam. Yeah, they're uh, they're very specialized toward Internet crime, uh, as the name suggests, um, you know, unlike other agencies. So, uh, you know, it would be very helpful. They also have if you are interested and are not, Sarah, uh, they also have a lot of other scam information on the website. So even if you have not been specifically targeted but are interested in scams, you can find a lot of information about different stuff that's going on right now, different styles of scams um, and, uh, you know, specifics on what to do with regard to filling out a complaint. Right. The thing is, if you haven't actually been scammed, it's kind of I don't know what they'll actually do if you fill out. Well, a complaint. I mean, you, you can fill out a complaint and and theoretically they're going to investigate it. And if they find there's anything substantive there, then they will proceed. Right. Um, I don't think that you necessarily have to suffer a loss for them to be aware of it. I think it's better that you go ahead and say, you know, this is this is who I think is trying to defraud me. Uh, this is why I think that here is some supporting evidence. I mean, you know, you don't want to just throw accusations around. Right, right. You have to send, uh, you have to send some information about who they are and what you think they were up to. And, you know, if, if you actually, uh, you know, go ahead with it and send them information or send them money, they're going to want to know exactly what you did and when it happened and all that information. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult for them to investigate it further. But, yeah. uh, you know, they're going to want to know specifics, you know, in, in as much detail as you can give them to them. That's true. And uh, if, um, you know, if that seems like that's not the right course for you, I've got some other suggestions you can you can follow. Okay. Um, if the business that you suspect is uh, is committing fraud or the individual who's committing fraud is either in the United States or Canada – you can contact the Better Business Bureau. Uh, if it's outside of that, that's outside of their jurisdiction. So that would not work in that case. Uh, other opportunities, you could, you could contact the Federal Trade Commission. That's good for fraudulent emails or, um, or fraudulent businesses. Uh, the Attorney General, if it's a fraudulent business. Um, there's a, the eConsumer.gov website is a good place to go if it's an international company that you suspect is committing fraud. Um, so that, that's, of course, one of the big problems with the Internet. You know, it's a global entity. 
Sure. So not all the the sites or all the uh, the the companies are going to be found in the United States, which makes it a lot more difficult when you're like, well, how, what can we even do about this? If they're on the other side of the world, can we even prosecute anything? You know, any sort of fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But you can go to, uh, like I said, eConsumer.gov. And, uh, and at least report scams. If nothing else, they can, they can raise awareness. Um, for phishing emails, you can use the, the US-CERT, which is the Computer Emergency Response Team website, uh, to report that. You can report fraud to the FBI. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this sounds like it's really kind of scary, spooky stuff, but really we're talking about people, people's lives can be ruined by fraud. True. And it happens all the time. And it's better to go ahead and report something than to stay quiet about it and just hope that, you know, no one else gets hurt. Like, you know, we'll eat this loss and we'll just, you know, we don't want to suffer the embarrassment of admitting that this happened or, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to go through the paperwork. That's really kind of irresponsible. It's much better to go ahead and step forward and say, hey, these guys over here are just are taking people for whatever they can and we need to stop it. Um and uh, and then there's a uh, www.fraud.org which is the National Consumer League's Fraud Center. That's not a government site. Uh that is a non-profit consumer site. It's actually one of the oldest ones that um exist. Hmm. And uh they have a they have a, a lot of information about fraud, uh how to spot it, how to avoid it, how to report it. And you can report something to that center and they will t- they will take it from there. They'll actually start going through and say, okay, these are the authorities we should contact. Here's the information that we have to pass along to them. Um, so that's a good resource too. Now, I know that we tend to concentrate a lot on the United States. So I actually looked into a couple of other opportunities as well. Okay. So for my friends up in Canada who are still mad that I said that they don't use 911, <laughs> I just mean that you guys don't have emergencies because you're so level headed. <laughs> um, no, seriously, right. I, I know now that you use 911. At the time, I wasn't sure and I couldn't get to my computer, so I apologize profusely. Please stop throwing bacon at me. Uh, but in Canada, you can, again, contact the Better Business Bureau or Industry Canada Consumer Connection, which uh, is an I followed by three Cs. Do you think that causes any confusion? There are lots of uh, IC3s. I-C-C-Cs. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that out. Um, and then over in the UK, uh, you can con- contact the Metropolitan Police or the Office of Fair Trading, or you can go to a website, www.ripofftipoff.net to hmm. report scams. And there are many other uh, uh, organizations you can contact. And of course, those are just two other countries. Every country has uh, has different departments that you can contact in the case of scams um, and a good resource to go to for really any any person in any country is www.consumerfraudreporting.org. They actually maintain a list of various countries and the department that you would need to contact if you were to encounter fraud online. And it seems, Sarah, that your uh, your instincts were good because you knew something fishy was was going on. And um, I I know it's been said many, many, many times and it's sort of cliched now. But, uh, yeah, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Yes. So, uh, you know, trust your gut feeling when somebody offers you something uh, that seems a little out of the ordinary. Uh, you know, as far as a business proposition, I would imagine that, you know, businesses have to, you know, you're looking for every opportunity to, to do more business, um, you know, versus hello, beneficiary. I want to, uh, 
trade, you know, <laughs> trade your information. Hello, Mr. So-and-so. Yeah. I, I am, I am a lawyer for Mr. So-and-so who is sick in Nigeria. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure for, for business, it's got to be a little tougher because you're, you know, you're looking for an opportunity to, to actually, you know, conclude a deal, but, uh, you know, you've got to trust those instincts because, uh, if something smells a little fishy, you need to, to look into it, even if you don't, uh, if you don't bite and it's, uh, you know, I, people know. And I encountered a lot of this back, uh, back when I worked at a different job. I was, uh, I manned the phones every now and then. And, uh, occasionally we would get the phone version of this kind of scam yeah. where yeah. someone asks you a couple of questions and just by saying yes, they go ahead and put down that the, you know, the, the client agreed to this service and then they start charging you for it. And people right. are like, why are we getting charged for? This paper from this vendor, we don't even use this vendor. Mm-hmm. And it was all based off of this one phone call where they trick someone into saying yes. And that's, that is the basis of their agreement. Right. Um, it's pretty scummy stuff. And, uh, yeah, you find it, you find it in all walks of life. It's just the internet makes it so know. much easier. Yeah. Cause you can then scam people all the way across the world. That's great. You, you aren't limited to the people in your area code. Thank isn't, you, internet. Isn't tech great? It sure is. Moving on. Okay. So our next question comes from Eric. And Eric wanted to know the difference between the terms hardware, software, and firmware. Uh, we talked a little bit about firmware in a previous episode, and he was just kind of curious as to, you know, what exactly is firmware? So really, you have to talk about all three to kind of uh, explain. So first, let's tackle hardware. Well, that's pretty easy. Yeah, that's why I wanted to tackle it first. Those are, those are, uh, well, in the case of electronics and technology, the machines. Yes. Themselves. The physical devices. Your monitor, your computer, your iPod, your, your printer, phone, adapter cards, fax machine, cables. Yep. Anything mouse. like that. If you can touch it, um, you know, technology, it's, it's hardware. Right. So that's pretty easy. And then software are programs and applications that run on hardware. Um, so this is like all the different programs, things that you rely on day to day. Operating systems can be, you know, that's software as well. Sure. Um, so this is, you know, the, the little happy programs that make your technology useful. So it could be anything from like uh, software on computers, software on a mobile device, uh, you know, even on some watches, things like that. I mean, it, pretty much any electronic device that can do a sophisticated sort of uh, task, it's using some so- sort of software. So the, the hardware is the machine that without the software, it couldn't do anything. Right. So, the you know, the software is the program that runs on the machine and gets so it to do things. What is firmware? Yes. It's kind of, um, yeah, firmware is this, this gray area that, you know, there's no definitive point where you can say this is firmware and this is software, right? Well, it's sort of a combination. It's, it's literally a combination of the two, but only for a very specific part of the hardware and a very specific part of the software. Yeah. And it tends to be, these tend to be very tiny applications that are hard coded into some part of the hardware on your device. Sort of um, like a driver. Yeah, really? it could be very much like a driver or, you know, a microprocessor has machine code coded onto it. Otherwise, right. it can't work. Um, you know, when you're running a program, ultimately, it's getting translated into machine code and then translate mm-hmm. back into whatever, you know, whatever the program's doing. Right. But um, that's, you know, that's the very core of how a computer works. So the firmware is the stuff that is hard coded part of the device. 
uh, you know, you can't remove it. You can't write over it. It's, it's what, it's what allows software to communicate with the hardware so that you get results. Yeah. It's, um, it's actually stored in ROM, which is read only memory. And, um, so it can only be found on, on a, on a ROM that's inside of your machine. So it's, uh, you know, it's not something that's on your hard drive or anything like that. It would actually be in the chips themselves. Right. You can think of things like, um, I, I, would you call, say, a cartridge game? Would you call that firmware because it's hard coded onto the cartridge? Well, um, that's a really good question that I don't have an excellent answer for. You mean like an Atari 2600 cartridge? Yes. Don't say the game. I'm not. Okay. But those were, uh, those cartridges, those older game cartridges up until, you know, I guess Nintendo 64 era type sure. stuff. Um, you know, those, those, you can't write to those cartridges. Right. And I mean, you can, but you have to have a burner to do it and it's a pain in the neck. Uh, you're, you're putting it inside your game machine. You're not writing to them. Those right. are, those are ROMs. Um, and, uh, so I guess you could kind so of call them firmware. Yeah. yeah they're kind of fit in that area. I um, think though that people would tell you if we went to talk to a programming expert, um, they would say that something inside the 2600 on the, on the chips itself that tell the chips how to handle that would actually be firmware where the software it's, is, is on the actual. Fair enough. Cartridge. So what, what about a ROM chip that you would find in an old fashioned arcade game? See, now that I'm thinking would probably be technically firmware. There you go. Somebody's going to write to us and tell us we're wrong. To so, yeah. Just make, make sure you put attention palette. So yeah. yes, if you would like to clarify our position, you know, we're, but, we're not, uh, we're but not that's the thing is that really firmware is kind of, it's a, it's a little bit of a fuzzy term because sure. there are some points where you're, where you might say, well, is a driver really firmware or is that software? Because well, drivers are what allow, you know, devices to interact with programs. Well, this, so this goes back to our, our, our semi definition that we're making up as we go along, which is, um, if you download a driver for your printer, you're storing it on your hard drive. Right. It's software on your hard drive that your computer hardware uses to access the printer. Right. But, um, say you have to update the firmware in your wireless router. And that way, you know, you're having to download information that gets stored, written back onto the uh, the router to make it, you know, do what it needs to do to interact with your computer and stuff. Eric, I'd like to thank you for breaking tech stuff. <laughs> well, I'm very much impressed. You know, it, I I will admit, uh, you know, hey, I didn't really know everything about firmware, uh, and I still don't, but I know a lot more now from doing research to answer this question. Yeah, so if you have yeah. a clarification and want to help out, if you're a programmer expert, you know, please drop us a line and, and, and tell us And it may very well on. be that certain, you know, within different industries, you have different definitions of what this really means. I mean, That's it's, true. I was using a general tech yeah, dictionary yeah. To, to get information. Because someone might think of firmware one way for, say, a laptop and a different sure. different way of thinking about when you're talking about, say, a mobile phone or right. or an Xbox 360. I mean, you know, we have game consoles now that get firmware updates to correct for problems. So, you know, this is no longer just the realm of uh, the computer. Yeah. Um, it's really lots of different devices. But it's, it's essentially chip instructions versus the software that actually runs, you know, when you open a, a program on your machine. So thanks a lot, Eric. I uh, hope that muddied up the waters a little bit. <laughs> I know but, it did for me. Yeah. Yay. Well, we have one more. Ready for the last one? Okay, I'm ready. All right. 
Hey guys, I'm a new listener, but have only six more of your podcasts to listen to. I'm getting I can't, caught up quick. Yeah, caught up really quickly. I can't get enough information, so thanks. On your Rechargeable Batteries podcast, I was hoping you'd address one aspect of charging. The scenario is, I've been playing on my iTouch all, I guess that's the iPod Touch. Yeah. Uh, all night, and I realize it's getting late, and I need to charge it so I can take it with me tomorrow and have enough battery to last the day. But if I plug it in now and leave it in all night, I'm worried I'll overcharge the battery. So my question is, can you overcharge batteries? Thanks for your help, Aaron. All right, Aaron. Well, um, so we're talking about rechargeable batteries, whether, you know, we, we talked a lot about what was the best way to charge them, you know, uh, how charge is lost over the duration of the lifetime of the battery, that kind of thing. You remember this podcast? I do remember that podcast. So, um, so yeah, overcharging. Uh, first of all, you asked, can you overcharge batteries? The answer to that is sometimes. Well, the answer to that is yes, but it's sort of, it's very difficult to do it because, uh, depending on the kind of battery you have and depending on the machine you're using to charge it, um, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to do that. Um, because most chargers have some technology built in to keep you from overcharging your battery. Yeah. It'll, it'll detect how much uh, voltage your battery is storing. And if it's over a certain amount, it'll stop sending a charge to that battery. Essentially, uh, laptop batteries are pretty smart in that regard. Yeah. Because they can, they generally have some technology built in to say, Oh, this is, this is enough. You don't need to charge anymore. So let's just say for sake of argument that your charger the voltmeter no longer accurately uh, measures the voltage in your battery. And that's a problem. Yeah. Capital so, P problem. So let's say that you've kept the the device, computer, whatever, plugged in for like a day. Uh, what's the worst thing that can happen? Okay, so the best thing that can happen is that your battery overheats a bit and it damages the battery and your battery life suffers as a result. And that's probably going to be the most common thing that happens. Yeah, that's like the by and large the most best common case thing. scenario. Worst case scenario. The battery bursts into flames and burns down uh, half of Detroit, um, even if you lived in St. Louis. <laughs> no, that's 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 a bit of an, an exaggeration. Uh, no, no, it really could though. It, it could, could burst into flames. I mean, that is a possibility. It's not likely to happen. No, um, but it is it is a potential danger that every lithium-ion battery really has. It's that if you overcharge it, it might it might burn up. Actually, you, you make a good point because uh, I forgot to mention that the research that I did was specifically for lithium-ion batteries, which is the most common right. battery found in laptops and portable electronics, you know, rechargeable stuff now. There are other kinds of rechargeable batteries, so your mileage may vary. Yeah, Some the nickel battery apply. is actually a little more dangerous, I think. But the, the uh, Nickel cadmium? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they're not used as much as they used to be no. either. Um and and lithium ion also has a uh, you know you've seen those laptops that have burst into flames, um, that's called thermal runaway. Seen them? And uh, I had one. Well, there well, you go. Well, it didn't burst into flames and just got yeah, it got extremely hot. And that's uh, that can actually happen by itself when you're not charging. Yeah, but uh, that requires a serious breakdown in the battery itself too. Yeah, we're talking about chemical reactions that kind of cause yeah. this stuff to happen. That's so- unrelated to the charging. Well. I guess overcharging. Yeah. So um, anyway, yes, it is possible. It's not easy to do. So you probably don't need to worry about it. But in general, don't leave anything plugged in for 24 hours. Yeah. Um, you'll, if you read the instructions that come with your portable electronic device, computer, et cetera, um, 
you'll, you'll get instructions and a lot of them will tell you, yeah, go ahead and plug it in and charge it overnight for the first time. Or, you know, I think if you come home, uh, your batteries run down, you plug it into the charger and then the next morning before you leave, you unplug it. I don't think that's going to cause a big problem. No, it's, it's you, when you leave it plugged in for days and days and days and yeah. days and days, especially when it's something that's less intelligent. Um, like if you just had batteries sitting at home in a charger and they were just, well, you know, I'll leave them in there. So they're always ready. Well, that's yeah, probably that's not, not a good idea. idea. Leaving your laptop plugged in all the time is not probably going to cause a big problem because it's a little smarter than that. Yeah. So in general, uh, you're probably okay. Um, don't leave your, your devices plugged in for 24 hours or more at a time. Uh, just avoid that because that's, that, that can cause damage. Even if it doesn't damage the battery directly, uh, it might, you know, the charger, it might wear the charger down faster. I mean, or the battery. Yeah. Or the battery. That's true. The battery life can suffer if it overheats for an extended period of time. That can, that can, cause the uh, chemical reactions to be less efficient and then it doesn't hold a char as much of a charge as it used to. And that's a simple way to tell. Feel it. If, yeah, if it's uh, warm, if the battery's that's warm, a bad that's sign. a sign. Yeah, it's you know, a if it's a little warm, I, you know, you know oh, that's kind of warm. If you yeah. go, wow, that's 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 pretty darn if warm. If you're using a device like, I don't know, the HTC G1 Google Android phone, <laughs> uh, if you're using like that with all of its functions going, it can warm up all on its own. So yeah. that's not necessarily a sign of the battery overheating. Yeah. Um, that's a sign of the processor getting really hot. Uh, I found that out the hard way. So oh, yeah. now I, I don't use nearly as many functions at a time. Well, I use, uh, you know, my, my laptop at home is a, uh, is an Apple aluminum case laptop, you know, and then there's that, you know, working in the summer wearing shorts thing going, wow, that is awfully warm. Wow. <laughs> so that's, you know, they're, you use your head, but yeah, I mean, if you feel your battery and it's warmer than it should be while it's charging and, you know, for example, you're not actually doing anything with the battery, you know, it's just plugged in. That's, that's a bad sign. So that about wraps it up for this this podcast, I think. You don't yep. have anything else to add? Nope. So if any of you have any questions or concerns or uh, you want to try and get something off your chest, like the image of Chris in shorts working on a laptop, uh, if you want to get that you know, out there, just go ahead and send us an email, techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Remember, we've got blogs up. You can access those from our homepage, howstuffworks.com. And we have articles about all these sort of subjects there, too. Check them out, and we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. 
See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.